Amen. You may be seated. It is good to see you here tonight. I hope you've had a great week this week, and I want you to know how much of an encouragement it is to me to see each and every one of you here and to see all of our folks tuning in. I was thinking a moment ago of how many things have been displaced as a result of this virus and all that we're going through, how our jobs have been misplaced or displaced, and how a lot of our joy has been displaced, our peace has been displaced, uh, but it's good to see God's people in their place. And I know that not all of us can be in the building together tonight, but it's an encouragement even to look on our live stream and see all of our people tuning in there. And uh, Lord willing, before too terribly long, I think we'll all be back here in the building together. Very excited about Sunday school coming back in February. Brother Nate will mention more about that here in just a minute. So be looking forward to that. Be praying for that. And uh, I'm excited about what God's doing in our church. And I'm excited about the Spirit of God moving in our services and the Spirit of God moving in people's lives. But we've got to let him move, amen? Got to let him do what he wants to do and allow him to continue to work. I was talking to Brother Carney and Brother Broom a moment ago, and I told them one of the things that has meant so much to me personally, if I can be selfish for a minute, is uh, all of the burden bearers that we have in our church. Uh, people that help hold up your hands while we're seeking to do God's will in the ministry. Particularly the last month, we've had a little bit of a rocky road over the last few months, and the encouragement has been a blessing to me and my family. And uh, I'm going to, uh, we're going to hear from one of those encouragers tonight. You'll notice I'm not mic'd up. Uh, I'm very thankful for the servants of God we have here around our church who step up when we're needed and where they're needed. And uh, we're going to hear from Brother Michael Coates. He's going to preach to us tonight. Uh, back, I think it was in November, I got to talk to Brother Michael, and he was telling me how he had surrendered to preach, and I asked him if he had preached yet, and he says, no, I hadn't preached yet really here, and I said, well, you need to preach, and we planned it out, and it kind of snuck up on me, and I was very excited on Monday when he called and says, I am preaching on Wednesday, right? I said, yes, that's right, you are, because it meant I got to get out of tonight and uh, prepare for Sunday, and I'm very thankful for Brother Michael. Right now, he serves over in our school and uh, works uh, teaching English, and he's also directing our discipleship now. Uh, some of you who are disciples have already met with Brother Michael, I think are meeting this week as he prepares for that and looking forward to how God's going to use them. I'm very thankful for people who serve just because they enjoy serving. And they serve God through serving other people. And Brother Michael and Mrs. Evelyn are those people. Whether it be an uh, invite over for dinner where they're going to cook you a marvelous meal. Brother Michael's a wonderful cook. Or uh, he crafts some very good coffee as well if you want to try some of those fancy coffees. I'll never forget, not long after we moved here, I got a knock on the door or a doorbell rang. And I looked and there was Brother Michael standing there with a large tray of waffles. And uh, it was uh, all kinds of waffles. Some of them had chocolate chips in them. Some of them had Nutella in it. I mean, it was pretty good. Brother Michael, Michael's been a blessing to us in spite of the fact that I killed their fish right after we moved here. He hasn't held that against me, but I'm thankful for him. He's an encouragement to me. He does whatever we ask of him, and uh, he loves the Lord and serves the Lord through serving others. So we're going to hear from him. Brother Michael, you come up tonight. Glad to have his dad here with us and going to encourage him with some hearty amens. And I told him not to be afraid of you while he's preaching tonight, but smile and help him out tonight. Amen. Let's welcome Brother Michael to the pulpit. Amen. <laughs> you bet. You know, I never understood why they, everybody moves that out of the way until I just got up here. And it, it makes me cross-eyed. It's kind of weird. You know, I, I thought I was preaching tonight until he gave that introduction, and I was wondering who he was talking about. I, it's not me. But thank you all for showing up anyway. If you want to go ahead and open your Bibles, turn them to Exodus chapter 18. In thinking about the concept of renew, it's our, it's our theme this year, and I was originally thinking about renewing your prayer life, renewing this, that, or the other, 
But as I was thinking about it, I couldn't help but wonder why renewal is necessary. Uh, not the benefits of being renewed, but why, if we have been made new, do we need to be made new again? What exactly is it that's causing us not to be new anymore? And plain and simple, it's just that we get worn out spiritually. And I, I was thinking about it in terms of, of a battery. I have a phone around here. I don't know if you know this or not, but these things don't stay charged forever. It's crazy. If you've tried to call me and I didn't answer, I probably don't like you. But if it's not that, it's probably that my phone just was dead. Uh, the reason for that is because the battery on this thing just does not last at all. And you can plug it in and recharge it, renew the battery. And even if you do nothing on it, the battery just wears, wears away itself. And yet there's, there's a feature on it and it's under the battery section, you can click battery saver. And what that battery saver does is it doesn't stop it from being drained, but it stops things that aren't necessary for it to run. And as a result, your phone will last longer, and it still needs to be renewed, but it doesn't have to be recharged, renewed as often as it otherwise might. And I've been thinking about that in terms of renewal, that we use up a lot of God's mercies, and that's why they're new every morning. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's probably some things in our lives that are just wearing us away faster than we need to be worn away, if that makes sense. And it seems to me that preventing that, in this case, might be as helpful as the renewal process. If we could just get a hold of the things that are wearing us down, we wouldn't need to be renewed as frequently. And... It really struck me in Exodus 18. If you look starting at verse 17. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away, both thou and this people that is with thee. Now, I love our theme. I love the, the sub-themes, renewing our calling, character, and commitment. When I was a kid, we didn't have themes, and when I came here, I thought it was just the neatest thing that you have a theme every year. It's pretty neat. But if there's only one thing that we learned this year, and I hope that's not true, but if there is only one thing that we can learn to do, learning to renew these aspects of our life would be really, really helpful. But as I was noticing in verse 18, there's a, another aspect of renewing that we should probably take heed to, and it's that if Moses wears away, the people wear away with him. And I've been to, well, I've sat through, I, I don't want to sound like I was good at it, I've sat through classes in college about leadership and countless, countless meetings on leadership. And one thing that showed up in all of them was that the attitude and the the um, life force of whoever is in charge really determines the life force of whatever body he's leading, whether that's business, church, anything like that. And I think that it would, be, it would be wise for us to just mentally add a fourth point on this renew, that we should renew our calling and our character and our commitment, but we should really actively, proactively work on renewing our pastor. Because as, as it, we can see, if he wears away, it's a domino effect, we wear away too. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for this evening and allowing us to, to be able to meet. I ask that you would please help us uh, and bless us through your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Now, the reason it's not up here is because it doesn't alliterate with everything else on the board, but I assure you it was part of the original plan. If you think about this just from our own perspective, we are part of this body, and as church members, the things we do affect each other. We're, we're part of a body, and when one part of that body hurts, all of it hurts. And, and that's what the Bible teaches us, and it's the same way with our leadership. If our pastor gets worn out, it's going to come back on us, and we're going to get worn out as a result. And so for our own best interest and for his own best interest, it's going to be a good thing for us to try and keep him from getting worn out. Now, ultimately, renewal is up to you. That's a choice. You can choose to be renewed, but you can also choose to wear somebody out. Any, any of you who have kids know what that's like. I, I had a bunch of brothers and sisters, and it was bad enough like that. You, you think you don't get worn out until you get around people and, and you know what it means to get wore out. That's actually in verse 18, thou wilt surely wear away. In southern English, that's just wore out. That's, that's what we would say. I'm sure he, in the Hebrew it says something like that. If you will keep your finger there, we're going to briefly jump over to 1 Corinthians. And not just for the sake of reading it, but I promise there is a point coming to it. We're going to read a couple of the first verses of this chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to pick up in verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at the first verse. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock which followed them, that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. I don't know about you, I love it when the Bible just tells it to you the way you're supposed to interpret it. This was one of my favorite chapters growing up because I actually understood what it wanted me to do with that information. These are examples. Don't do the things that they did. It, it's nice and simple. But if you go on, uh, that we should not as they also. If you look at verse 7, neither be ye as were some of them. Verse 8, neither let us as some of them. Verse 9, let, neither let us as some of them. Verse 10, neither ye as some of them. Everything in here is an example from the children of Israel. You notice not one example in that list is of Moses. And the reason for that is because God really doesn't have to tell us to behave. or what, not, Maybe not that. I didn't say that. God doesn't have to tell us to act like Moses. But what he does have to say is to stop acting like the children of Israel. And the reason he says that is because our natural man's inclination is to do everything that is on that list. The only reason, well, the whole reason that we have this story in the New Testament of Old Testament events is not just for entertainment to tell our kids, but because it's written for our benefit. These are our examples, things that we are supposed to pay attention to because he thinks that we are liable to do each and every one of these things. And if you don't, that's where verse 12 comes in, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Now, when I was a kid, I would read the Bible, and I would always see myself as the good guy. I see myself as Daniel. I see myself as Joseph. I see myself always the hero. And this chapter was one of those moments that I realized that I'm not actually Moses most of the time. I'm usually the children of Israel. 
and somebody else's Moses. And it's, it's moments like that that really help us to understand what we're supposed to do with a lot of these Old Testament stories. As a result, I think it would be beneficial for us to take that, that example in 1 Corinthians 10, neither let us as some of them. Let's look at some things that they did, and let's just not do those. Uh, this works well for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's sort of like saying, do not, thou shalt not kill. You know, if you're not doing that already, all you have to do is just continue not doing that. It's a blessing to you. And if you are doing it, all you have to do is just stop doing that. What we're going to talk about tonight is just not doing things. And if you don't do them, you, you're already ahead on life. It's great. You can just go to sleep now. If not, just stop it. it it's that easy. So, neither let us wear away our leader as the children of Israel. That's the main thought of this. Let's consider the first point. If you go back to the initial passage in Exodus 18, the, the context of this is, is some, the first thing that we'll consider. The first aspect in helping to renew our pastor is that we ought not wear him out by monopolizing his time. Now, don't understand me. I like talking to him. I like spending time with him. But we've got to understand there's a difference between utilizing his time and monopolizing his time. Amen. And all of these points, honestly, they're ones that resonate well with me. I don't think any of you do all these, but if you do, stop. If you don't, that's great. But at least on my part, I'm tempted to do all of these things. I want to monopolize his time. When other people talk to him after church, I want to shove them out of the way and talk instead. But let's not monopolize his time. If you look at the, the verse, Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee, thou art not able to form it thyself alone. If we look at verses 16, we see what he was doing that his father-in-law calls not good. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another, and I do make them to know the statutes of his laws. You see, Moses is doing several good things, but the fact that he's doing all of them isn't a good thing. He is their spiritual leader, he's their administrative leader, he's their judicial leader, he's their provisional leader, all at once to everybody. And he did this successfully for a while, but it was very obvious that it was wearing him away. And as a result, if that happens, of course, the people he's leading also wear away. So what did he need? He needed a break. It wasn't that doing any of those tasks was beneath him. Jesus shows us that being a servant is one of the qualifications for being a leader. But even Mary needed to take a break from serving Jesus to just sit at his feet and, and learn from him. One of our pastor's jobs is being a minister to us. And that's one of them, and that's uh, a minister is another word for a servant. But he actually has a more important priority that Sometimes I don't acknowledge. I don't, I don't know if the rest of you might not. What do you mean? Isn't his main job to, to this church? Well, that is a priority. But we don't actually come first. Look, look at the events that precede Moses' need to take some time away. Look down at verse 6. Why is it that Jethro is telling him he's spending too much time with these people? And he said unto Moses, I, thy father-in-law Jethro, am come unto thee, and thy wife and her two sons. You see, Moses has only been able to handle the intensive load this far because he's had to neglect his family. His wife and kids haven't been in the picture up to this point. He had to just put them to the side to do all this. 
But when his wife and kids show up, all of a sudden he realizes, hey, you know, maybe I should take a break for a while and spend some time with them. Unless you think I'm, I'm making details up, just adding fluff to scripture, think, think of the biblical qualifications for a pastor. In 1 Timothy, the Bible mentions that a pastor must be, quote, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For, man, for if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? One of the determining factors of a pastor's effectiveness is how he treats his family. If he takes care of his family, he'll take care of his church. We have to ask ourselves, are we going to be one of the people that helps take up the slack and give him a break, or are we going to be the people who wear him away and don't give him a break? You'll find a couple of chapters later that Moses has 70 men appointed to do what he was doing alone. That is how much work had to be done. And it wasn't that he was being lazy, but he was prioritizing his time. They went from monopolizing his time, taking up all of it, to utilizing his time. He had time set aside for this. Let, let's, let's consider this illustration. Let's say that you book an appointment with, with our pastor, and you, you book this appointment three weeks in advance. You talk to Miss Pam. You've got it marked on your calendar. You get up early that day, pray about it. You've cleared. You've taken off work. You've put so much effort into meeting with your pastor at 3 p.m. on Tuesday or something. And you get there. He shows you in. He gives you a jelly bean. You sit down. And you're about to pour out your heart to him. And as soon as you open your mouth, the phone rings. And he picks it up, and it's a member from some other church. And he answers it and says, hey, how are you? And the person says, oh, I'm not good. I need help. And he says, okay, well, what can I help you with? He spends about 15, 20 minutes counseling this person. Then he hangs up. And you say, okay, well, now I'm going to start. And you start to talk to him. And then as soon as you do his, his, uh, his watch dings, and he goes, hey, there's a fire on 38th Avenue. You need to go help put it out. And he goes, well, I guess I better go put it out. And he goes and does that. Now, those things are not bad things to do. However, he has a priority of serving his church before serving another church. Now, consider it this way. Are we, do we do this to him? When he goes home and he sits down with supper and his wife's about to tell him how her day was, do we call him up and say, hey, I need help with something? And we take up his time so that when we, when we get finished, supper's already done, the dishes are being washed, goes in the other room, Miley's going to ask him a question, and then, ding, hey, I need you to come to the church and do something right now that needs your particular attention at this very moment. Okay, well, I'll go do that. And then he comes back. And by that time, it's time to go to bed and then go back to work the next day. This guy spends six to seven days here. He, he has a lot of office hours. And I don't know how those office hours are spent, but I know you can make an appointment. And don't get me wrong, I know there's emergencies. There's... there's certain emergencies that, of course, you can, you can impede on that. But we've got to realize that at some point, he's got to minister to his own family. Amen. If we're going to renew ourselves, you have to be able to have time to renew ourselves. If he's going to renew himself at home, we've got to let him renew himself at home. Because if we start taking, monopolizing his time at home, monopolizing his time here, monopolizing his time whenever he's on uh, revival somewhere else, it's going to wear him away and wear him away until there's nothing left, and as a result, we're going to be worn away too. 
And again, I'm the worst at this. I want to take up all the time that he has. But at some point, we've just got to say, you know what? He, has, he spends 50, 60 hours a week that I could bother him here. Now that it's late and he's at home, I'm just going to let him be at home because that's his first priority. If he's going to be a good pastor to this church, he's got to be a good husband and a good father. And we've got to allow him to do that. See, the easiest thing, we just do nothing. I told you, it's, it's that easy. I'm just kidding, that's pretty hard. But, you know, we can at least try. Now, again, there, there, there are certain times that you're going to have to interrupt him, and, and that's fine when you have to. But we've got to make sure that our have-tos are have-tos and not want-tos. Because, again, it's a chain reaction. We wear him out, and we're going to get wore out as a result. We've got to utilize his time and not monopolize it. Now, office hours, he's fair game. You can bother him all day, every day. But when he leaves, just, just be polite. He's not going to hang up on you. Probably. He might. I don't think he'll hang up on you. He's not going to tell you to call back later. But just be considerate of that. If it can wait, let it wait till he's at church. He set aside time specifically to do that. There's no need for us to rob him of that family time to recharge and to renew. So we ought not wear him away through monopolizing his time. Secondly, we ought not to wear him away by murmuring. If you recall from that passage in 1 Corinthians 10, that was actually one of the specific instances it tells us. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured. And I can tell you, as a teacher of a small group of people, nothing annoys me more than complaining. It really does. You think you have the patience of Job until somebody complains, and then it's gone. You're you're ready to throw hands at somebody. The word murmur shows up 40 times in the Bible-ish, if, if, if I count it correctly. Ten of those times is a reference to people murmuring about Jesus. Five of those times is uh, this person or that group of people murmuring. And the other 25 times all refer to the children of Israel murmuring against Moses. And this is, this is a very specific thing, murmuring. It, it comes from the word that we get, mumble. And it means um, to make a low, continuous noise. It's not just complaining. Complaining is when you don't like something. Murmuring is when you keep complaining about the same thing over and over and over again. You make a continual noise. The first time that the children of Israel complain against God before they cross the Red Sea, he doesn't call it murmuring. He just says, and they, they said this. But the second time they say it, he calls it murmuring. And the third time they start saying it, he calls it murmuring. It's not just complaining about something. It's complaining about the same thing over and over and over and over again. It's repeating a matter. And we know from Proverbs 17:9 that he that repeateth a matter surely separateth friends. Complaining, murmuring, is something that's going to wear away anybody. Our pastor is not above that. And when we complain, whether to him or about him, it just wears him out. It's just another another scratch that's going to eventually wear out the whole, the whole thing. It's something that we, we don't usually think of as a, a bad sin to complain. But if we think about complaining, it's essentially telling God that I don't like the way that you've allowed things to happen, and if I had your job, I would have done it better. That's, that's what it... And, and we'll go into that. In chapter... Let's see, 15, 15, 2, or sorry, 16, 2. 
And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses. If you look at 15, chapter 15, verse 24, the people murmured against Moses. Chapter 17, verse 3, and the people murmured against Moses. Seems like all they do all day is murmur and complain about the same thing over and over and over again. And it's something that just doesn't seem to stop. But there's, and I understand, I complain, and I shouldn't. It's not an excuse. And yet, even though we complain, there's really no reason that we should ever stoop to the point of murmuring over and over again. And yet, how many times with things pertaining to church do we find ourselves murmuring? about it over and over again. I wish they sang different music. I wish he wouldn't talk so long. Why are there always other people up there talking on Wednesday nights? Doesn't he get paid to preach? Can't he see the clock on the wall? Doesn't he know it's lunchtime? Why does he always talk about Disney? It, murmur, 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 murmur. It, it, it has no place in the church. It has no place in your life. And when you do it, it's, it's an offense against God. In Exodus 16, 2, we mentioned they murmured against Moses. But if you look down to verse 8, when Moses is talking about that, he said, For the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. We complain about him or the way he does things or any, anyone on church staff or even anyone in the church. We're essentially telling God, you know what? I don't like the way you do things. And look, this is one instance where we don't actually have to do completely nothing. Because if you're like me, you might be tempted to say, but if I don't complain about it, how are they supposed to know it's a problem? It's up to me to solve this problem for them and to point it out over and over and over again, even when they've heard me. But there is something that we can do, and if you're anything like me, you probably don't want to do it because it's going to test your honesty. Ask yourself two questions. Do I really want this resolved? Or do I just enjoy complaining? Am I actually interested in what's right or am I interested in who's right? Because I find that that's really what determines a lot of our, our talk. If we look back at Moses' life, you look at chapter 15, verse 24. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? But look at the next verse. And he cried unto the Lord. And then the Lord showed him a tree. If you look at chapter 17, verse 3 and 4, the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses, and drop down to verse 4, and Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, what shall I do? And then in verse 5, the Lord said unto Moses, do this or that. You'll notice that every time the people complain, Moses doesn't agree with them. I know it's a, it's a novel idea, but when people complain, you don't actually have to agree. You don't have to say, oh, yeah, you're right. Moses didn't do that. Every time somebody complained, he just dropped down and prayed. And that's what separated him from the Israelites that we are told to compare ourselves to. The Israelites were interested in tearing down and complaining. Moses was interested in actually solving the problem. And how many times did God give the Israelites what they wanted when they complained? And how many times did God give Moses what he asked for when he prayed? You ever wonder if maybe God hasn't actually fixed something could be fixed just because you never prayed about it. Maybe there's actually something that could be changed. He agrees with you, but he can't grant your request because you chose to complain against him instead of pray to him. The Israelites needed water, didn't they? We would assume that if he's not going to withhold any good thing, water would be a pretty good thing to have. 
But he didn't give it to them. Why? Because they complained instead of praying. Now, Evelyn and I, we, we established a rule sometime last year. I don't remember the circumstances, but it's one that if we catch each other complaining about a person, a situation, or an event, we call each other on it, and then we stop, and we pray about it. And it's, it's a nice honesty check to see whether or not we actually care about the person, situation, or event, or whether or not we just enjoy wasting our breath and, and the time of other people by complaining about things that we have no intention of trying to fix. For the sake of renewing our church, renewing our pastor, if you don't like something, talk to the boss. If, if you're to work at a, a place that you work, I don't, a business of some sort, you don't typically take your problems to your coworkers and expect them to do anything about it. You expect them to listen and agree with you and then tell them the same thing the next day as if they've forgotten. No, you take it to the people who can actually do something about it. Now, if we actually believe that God is as powerful as we say we believe, we might actually try to make things happen. If, if, the, if the heart of the king, if the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, shouldn't our pastor's heart be there too? If for some reason he's doing anything ever that is not in accordance with the word of God, don't you think it would be best to just pray about it first instead of gossiping? That maybe God could do something about it productive and rather than us tearing it down, separating friends, ruining reputations, starting rumors. You know, there have been some things that I've not particularly cared for in the last four or five years. Nothing big, nothing, nothing crazy. But I, I tried to pray something, something like this, and it's, Lord, I think that this shouldn't be the way that it is. And if it's truly a thing that needs to be changed, please change it. And if it doesn't, please change how I think so that I don't become the hindrance. And that's one of those honesty tests that you've got to admit the possibility that you can be wrong. Now, granted, there is a possibility that you can be right, but if you're going to complain about it, you're not in the right anymore, and being right does no good. We've got to be honest. We've got to pray about things and not complain about things. If there's something that we don't like, we can't murmur about it. We have to pray about it. So let's not wear away our pastor through murmuring. Let's not monopolize his time. And let's not wear him away through mutability. Now, before you get on to me for using big words just because they alliterate, that is the reason. But I did feel at least somewhat good about this because immutable shows up in the Bible, and I thought it was close enough to warrant use. Immutable, if you'll recall, means unchangeable. God is immutable. He is unchangeable. And most of the time, the children of Israel are mutable, which is not to say that you can make them stop murmuring, which he probably wished, but it's to say that they are unstable, they are changing, they are fickle folks. And boy, one thing that will wear out anybody is fickle people, inconsistent people. If you look back at Exodus 15, verses 1 to 2, you see that after the victory of God and the Red Sea and overthrowing the Egyptians, man, the Israelites are throwing a party. They're having a praise session unlike anything we've ever heard. And then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Man, doesn't that sound like something you could, you could agree with? But look, 24 verses later. And the people murmured against Moses. Verse 1, the people sang this song. 
Verse 24, the people murmured. That's nothing more than inconsistency. Inconsistency in their life. What brought this inconsistency? Well, if we, if we notice, the period of time between these two events is three days. That's it. Three days. Verse 22 tells us, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness, sure. And they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Three days without water, and they've gone from happy people singing songs to the Lord to angry people trying to pick a fight. Now, praising is not a bad thing. I think we should praise God more often. Psalm 92, 1 even says, It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. And in a day and age like this where we don't know what's good and what's not good and what's offensive, it's really nice when we're just told what is good. It's why we have so many songs that we sing. It's not something that's supposed to just pass time until the preacher preaches. It's a good thing. It's a good thing that we do. And while it was a good thing for them to praise him, we know from the Bible that out of the same fountain, you can't have bitter waters and, and sweet waters. It doesn't work that way. And yet, that's the problem. They're, they're inconsistent. And all because of a lack of water. Now, it was easy to praise God when the times were good. It was easy to praise him when you had access to water. But as soon as you go three days without drinking water, that consistency disappears. If we recall in the initial passage in 1 Corinthians 10, the, the verse mentions, I think it's verse 10, mentions that they all did drink that same spiritual drink, or verse 2 or 3. And that's just an easy application right there. Spiritual drink, got it. We can, we can work with that. The last time I checked, we all had access to the Word of God. I don't know if anything's changed, but that, that was the case a few minutes ago. Not only that, as Christians, we have access to God through Jesus Christ. Now, that's something they didn't necessarily have direct access. They had to have a whole priestly order and a long chain of events. But we don't have that excuse. They could at least have the excuse that they couldn't necessarily get good water because they couldn't come to God, maybe. And, but we, we're, we're without excuse. We have the Bible. We have access to God through Jesus. We have access to the Word of God. And we know that Jesus said that whoever drinks of him won't be thirsty. So what exactly is the problem that we go thirsty, even though we have opportunity to get this spiritual drink? Well, it's more often our problem that we just choose not to rather than we don't have access to. See, the Israelites at any point could have called out to God for water. They, this was before the law had been given to them, so they could have gone around the, the order that was going to be established and just prayed and begged God. And we talked about that with murmuring, praying instead of murmuring. But look at us. We could read our Bible at home. We could find renewal in personal and in daily walk with God. And yet, I suspect that we expect our pastor to do the renewing for us. It only take, took three days of not drinking water for the Israelites to become inconsistent and mutable. And yet, how many times do we go to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night? We get renewed, we get filled up, and then Monday comes around, Tuesday comes around, Wednesday comes around, three days later of not drinking any spiritual water, and we are just angry. How are we ever supposed to get anywhere if every Sunday we have to be renewed again 
and then we don't drink any spiritual water for three days. And then when Wednesday comes around, instead of being already on fire for God and ready to do something, we just have to get renewed all over again. And then we spend four days without drinking any spiritual water, only to have to be renewed again on Sunday. Nothing is going to wear your pastor out more than having to try and reignite and renew you every single Sunday and Wednesday. I don't think it's the case here, but there were a few folks at the church I grew up at who seemed to hold to the belief that it was the pastor's job to read the Bible for them. I, I don't know where this comes from, mostly so they wouldn't have to read it themselves, but no. Our job is to read the Bible. His job is to help guide us through what we're reading, make sense of it. If we aren't reading, no wonder we're bored in church. We, we don't know what he's talking about. None of these characters are familiar. We don't know what he's trying to apply because we don't know the source material he's talking about. If you look at the folks in Berea, when Paul goes to preach to them, they received everything he told them, they accepted it, and yet they still, quote, searched the scriptures daily, quote. Now, why were they searching the scriptures if they had already received everything that he told them? Because they knew that renewal requires your personal effort. If, if not, we're going to end up like the people in Hebrews 5, for when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have the need of milk and not of strong meat. We've got to ask ourselves, <clears throat> how long have we been in church? And do we know the basic principles of the Bible well enough to teach them if the opportunity occurs? Or do we still have to be taught every Sunday? When we go soul winning, and we're going to have a big session on that next week, and I hope all of, all of us are able to come to that. Do you, are you going to find yourself saying, you know, I can't answer that question, but if you would just talk to my pastor, I'm sure he could answer that question for you. Or are you going to be the person who searched the scriptures daily and actually knew the Bible well enough to give them an answer from what God says and not tell them what another man says? Otherwise, we're going to wear him out time and time again, hey, what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about this? Well, if we would read it, we probably wouldn't have to ask those questions. Now, granted, I ask questions about the Bible still. I wear my dad out asking him questions about that sort of stuff. But it shouldn't be because I haven't read it. It should be because I have read it and I need clarification on it. If, if we're going to, if we're going to say, or if we're going to come to church Sunday and then not read our Bible through the week, come to church Wednesday and not read our Bible through the week, and then have the audacity to say, you know, that pastor just isn't feeding me spiritually. No, duh. You're on a spiritual hunger strike. No wonder you're not getting food. You could just, hear me out, pray to God, read your Bible, and actually ask the one who could do it to help you, rather than going to a man and asking him to go to God to do it for you. We don't have to do that. We have access to God. If we're going to renew our pastor and keep him, furthermore, from getting worn out, it's going to require us to be consistent in our spiritual walk with God. It's going to require us to be consistent with our prayers. It's going to require us to consistently drink of that spiritual water. Otherwise, we're going to be like the Israelites and expect from a man what only God can give. Moses couldn't give them water. Why were they complaining to him? What could he do about it? Nothing except pray to God and God would do something about it. We can't expect from a man what God only himself can provide. And consistency doesn't even have to be spiritual. It can be physical. Physical consistency in just showing up. 
I used to be an assistant manager at a restaurant of sorts, if you count McDonald's, and one of the most stressful areas of my job was dealing with people. People are the worst sometimes, specifically inconsistent people. Obviously, I wasn't allowed to fire people because I wouldn't have the illustration that I'm about to give you, but if, if, if I had, this would be different. But I, I'm not sure I ever got through an entire week without having to call somebody who had the day off to get them to come in because somebody who was supposed to come in didn't. It was something that happened usually multiple times in a single day. And then sometimes when the people even did show up, they didn't do the job that they were paid to do in the first place. It was like pulling teeth to try and even get them to work. I even, and this is a character flaw I know, I even asked to be demoted simply so that I didn't have to deal with that anymore. I found myself waking up at three in the morning freaking out because I thought that someone needed to be called in to come to work and that I, need, I was in charge of it because that was the responsibility that I had been given. <clears throat> but think about that from your pastor's perspective. Are we consistent enough that he would call us in on our day off and that we would actually show up to work and do the work that needs to be done? Or are we the person that he's having to call somebody else to come and fill in for? If, if we're going to do anything great, we've got to actually show up. It's, it's pretty basic like that. If we want to be involved in a ministry, we've got to be consistent enough to show up for that ministry. Otherwise, he's going to wear himself out trying to say, oh, well, who can cover for this? Who can show up for this? Who's going to be able to do that? You could just give him a break and do it. Not only do that, be the type of person that he would call in or even not have to call in to show up to cover for somebody else. Let's not be mutable. Let's be stable. Your pastor wants you to grow, and if you aren't spiritually consistent, it's going to wear him out trying to grow you. He wants to plug you in, but if you aren't physically consistent, it's going to wear him out trying to call other people in to cover for you. Let's continue to find personal renewing. Let's continue to pray for each other, but let's make sure we aren't the reason that somebody else needs to be renewed. And this goes beyond just your pastor. This could work for anybody here, your family, your, your friends, your church. Let's make sure that we don't wear other people away. In fact, let's try and be the people that help renew other people. Instead of complaining, we could maybe try encouraging. Don't lie, of course, but there's usually something positive in most situations. If you're following the calendar that our church has given out, you'll notice that you're starting to read Exodus soon coming up really, really soon. And if you would just do yourself a favor, and let's do our pastor a favor, when we read through this, let's take the approach of 1 Corinthians. And every time we see the Israelites do something dumb, let's say, neither let us do that dumb thing as they did. Neither let us do that inconvenient thing as they did. Neither let us fill in the blank as some of them did. Let's use them as examples like the Bible tells us to. Let's not monopolize our pastor's time. Let's utilize it. Let's not murmur. Let's pray. And let's not be mutable. Let's be immutable. Let's be unchanging. Be consistent as some of them. Let's go ahead and pray.